All right, for our reading this morning, we're going to John chapter 8 and starting in verse 12. It says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless... You believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. They did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. If you think back to the sermon from last week, it was entitled that you were invited. And He did that with one of their ceremonies. He did it with their water ceremony. During that feast, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, when every year they would camp out, stay in tents for a week as they celebrated the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And what that was was a commemoration. Look back to the time when they wandered in the wilderness with Moses and they lived in those tents and they had this water pouring ceremony where they'd take the pitcher and they'd fill it up, bring it back, pour it on the altar, sing about the salvation of God as they were doing it. And Jesus stood up within that and He says, if anybody's thirsty, let them come to Me and drink. And we looked last week and saw how that was an invitation that just as God through the hand of Moses provided water for the children of Israel from the rock in the wilderness, Christ was saying He's the fulfillment of that picture. That the living water, which is what it was for them back then, otherwise they die in the wilderness without that water, they needed to get that from Christ. Well, Jesus is going to do it again. He's going to extend to them yet another invitation. Now remember, this happened in the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the great day, which is the last day, the feast kind of culminates. And the last day is like the climax of the whole event. And so the biggest of the ceremonies. And during the day, they do the thing with the pitcher of water. And at night, they do a thing with the candle lighting. And it's at that time where Jesus again extends an invitation, declaring Himself to be the light of the world and inviting people to come out of the darkness and into the light. And so as we look down through this chapter, it's about the response to this invitation that Christ is extending. Now, that's going to land in two different directions. In verse 13, we find that the Pharisees, they go one direction. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony is not true. They're very quick to reject what he just said on a technicality that we'll get into in a bit. On an encouraging note, when you get to verse 30, it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. 
Some are saying yes and some are saying no. Kind of typical with any invitation. As we look down through this passage, let's focus first of all on the invitation. What is He inviting them to or to participate in? Well, as we pointed out, it's an extension of the invitation that He already offered. Back in chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, He picks up here, this would be the very same day. In fact, that's why you notice in in verse 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them. And and so He spoke to them during the the daytime service when they were bringing in the water and pouring it out. At the nighttime ceremony, they had a big candle lighting ceremony. And it says, again, Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because remember, while they were wandering around in the wilderness... For 40 years, God led them through the wilderness. They followed Him through the wilderness. God had a pillar over the tabernacle. During the day, it was a pillar of a cloud. And during the night, it was a pillar of fire. And so whenever that pillar of fire moved, then that was God moving. Fold up His tent, and they'd fold up their tents, and they'd follow Him through the wilderness. And that's what they're commemorating as they would light up. It says that it happened in the treasury. The treasury, if you think of the temple, you come into the outer courtroom, court area, and that was the court of the Gentiles where if you were a Gentile proselyte to Judaism, that's where you worshipped. And then it got more and more restrictive from there. When you entered into the court of Israel, Israel was divided to the court of the women and the court of the men. And then you went into the holy place where only the priests could go. And then the most holy place or the holy of holies where only the high priest could go. And him only once a year with just the right sacrifice. Well, the treasury is found in the court of the women. And in the court of the women, they had these four enormous candelabras at the Feast of Tabernacles every night, and especially on the last night. They would light these candles, and it uh, would shine up into the sky. Some say like a spotlight, like you'd see at an airport or something. And it would just illuminate the whole surrounding area. In fact, there's one ancient Jewish source It said there's not a courtyard in Jerusalem that doesn't reflect the light of those candelabras. And so this was a a tremendous display of light that is put forward here. And right at that time, right right in that light, Jesus stands up and He says, I'm the light of the world. And then He says, you follow Me, just like Israelites would have followed God through the wilderness following that light. Those who follow Me will not walk in darkness. He's inviting us to leave the darkness and have the light of life. Well, this again, as we remember last week, we said that the the earlier passage in John chapter 7 was really seeing it as an unfolding of John chapter 1. And in a sense, this one is also. Because within the statements we find back in John chapter 1, as he just begins to introduce us to Christ, we find him describing him as light then as well. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. We also find that when Jesus encounters Nicodemus, and Nicodemus comes to him and says, we know you've got to be from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless God be with him. And then Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. 
And he explains to him that what that means is that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. Another phrase that Jesus uses in this passage as well about His being lifted up. And that's talking about being lifted up on the cross. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent and whoever looked upon that serpent would be healed from being bitten by the serpents, Jesus said the Son of Man would be lifted up on the cross and whoever believed in Him would have eternal life. Jesus then went on to point out that you know what we have a we have a problem with darkness, which makes us recoil from the light. In John chapter three, verses nineteen through twenty-one, it says, "And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God." We have a tendency to, because of the darkness, the sinfulness of our own selves, to recoil from that light, to pull back. And and Jesus says that's exactly the opposite of what needs to happen. They need to let that light do its exposing work so that we can repent of our sin and receive forgiveness for our sins through faith in Him. You know, that's exactly what's happening in chapter 8. Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. And He clearly was. All the different signs that he'd been performing, he's even raising people from the dead and, and, and healing the sick and curing the lame and, and he'd walked on water and fed over 5,000 people with one boy's lunch and just many, many miracles shining God's light in this world. And what were they doing? Trying to get rid of him. Trying to plot how they might kill him. In about six months time, they're going to be able to do it. In John chapter five, he's going to say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going while you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And in verse 46 of chapter 12, He's going to say, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. And so Jesus is using the elements of this festival in fact, more than that, stop and think. If we go back into chapter 5 and 6, Jesus used the, the manna that God provided from heaven to say that was a picture of Me. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. He looks to the water from the rock in chapter 7 and says, come to Me and you'll get the living water. And now He says, I am the light of the world. You follow Me, you won't walk in darkness. This feast is amazing. It is, it is all about Christ. This couldn't be more about Him if it was His own birthday that he was at. Right? As much as your birthday party is about you, this is about Christ, this whole thing. And these people are seeing it right in front of them. And thankfully many came to faith in Christ and believed in him that day. Well it should have rang true with them as we look back at the Old Testament and see what God's said about his use of light. In Psalm twenty seven verse one it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 19 says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. And also in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. Now this is just a small sampling of the verses. And what do we see in there? We see the psalmist react to God and say, you are my light and my salvation. And then a passage where God tells him one day, I'm going to be your light. The sun and the moon won't be needed anymore. And then in Isaiah 42, pointing to the Messiah, how the Messiah would have that same nature, that same 
character, that he would be as a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. And so looking back in the Old Testament, there were, God used light to reveal Himself, His own nature, the promise of the coming Messiah, and Jesus stands up and says, I'm the answer to that. As we go on from there, the future has the same thing. In fact, we've already seen part of it in that Isaiah 60, that promise. Because when we look in the book of Revelation, also written by John, John would say, and the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, and by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the eternal state, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no need for the sun or the moon anymore, because Christ will be the light. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5 says, And night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so what do we see in this invitation? We see Christ inviting these people to come to Him. We see that from time past, light was used as a declaration of the nature of God and that the Messiah coming from God would have that same nature. And we see the promises and the provision. We see God leading His people partly through the cloud and partly through the light that would come from that Shekinah glory that would rest over the tabernacle. Now they're in the more permanent tabernacle in the temple and they're celebrating with that candlelighting service. Christ gets up and invites everybody to this light, this life, saying, I'm the light of the world. But as we look at the different reactions, the first reaction is rejection. They reject Him. As we notice in verse 13, the Pharisee said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. If you remember back in chapter 5, I think it's, I think it's about verse 31 maybe, Jesus told them, in fact, they're quoting him right here. He said, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. It context is everything here. The point that he was making back then that we looked at at the time was that Jewish law was, in fact, that's what he points out to him in this passage. He says, your law says if there's two witnesses, you have to accept it as true. Well, if you look back in Jewish law, you'll find if you have one witness, it's not taken as true. They might be telling the truth. It might actually be true, but it is not confirmed as true legally. Because in order to sentence somebody to death or or sentence them on a lesser crime even, you have to have the testimony of at least two witnesses. So what Jesus was saying back then, if you look back at the context, and it's very clear, He was saying, look, if, if I just testify about myself, you don't have to accept it. But I don't just have the testimony of myself. I have the testimony of John the Baptist. He testified about me. God the Father testified about me. The works uh, that I am doing, those testify about me as to who I am. And so I got plenty of witness to who I am. In saying that, Jesus made the statement, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. He meant you don't have to, you don't have to accept it as true. And so now when he makes this statement, I'm the light of the world, they jump on that and say, hey, wait a minute. You just said that about yourself. So your testimony is not true. And Jesus says, it's true. It's true because I know where I'm from and I know where I'm going. You don't know where I'm from. And you don't know where I'm going. In fact, we've seen them handle that very fraudulently, right? Because there's a point there where it says, back in chapter 6, where they're looking at Christ and saying, some people are saying, is it the guy? Is it not the guy? Others are saying, no, it's not the guy. Others are, yes, it is. And in all that confusion, they're asking some questions, which were actually good questions. One of the questions was, isn't the Christ supposed to be born in Bethlehem? In the city of David? Well, 
They never bothered to ask him, where were you born? Because he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so the fact of the matter is, they're not too good at looking into where he's from. And Jesus says, you know what? You have no clue where I'm from. He says, but I know exactly where I'm from and I know where I'm going. And so what is he saying? He's saying, look, even as I, I testify of myself, he says, this testimony is true. From there, for the whole rest of the chapter, he focuses again on his relationship to the Father. Remember, that's where he went before. Back when he healed the person on the Sabbath day, and then they were upset with him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath day, he didn't back down from healing on the Sabbath day. He said, my father's at work and I'm also working. And he says, what I see the Father do, I do. Then they really got mad at him because he said, now he's claimed that God is his Father, which is making himself equal with God. That's blasphemy. Well, it would be if he wasn't the Son of God. But you know what he does? He just keeps doubling down on it. Every time he ends up in a conversation with these people about something he said, he goes right back to his relationship with the Father. That he and his Father are one. That I only do the things that please him. Any judgments I make, it's because he made that judgment. Any teaching I give, it's because he, this is his teaching. Any act that I do, it's because it's what he wanted me to do. I do only those things that please him. Well, you know what? With their rejection, he focuses more on what is the results of their rejection. And he actually does it with both invitations. He focuses on what they get out of their rejection. And when the other people that accept him, he's going to focus on what they get out of accepting him. When we get to verse 21, notice what it says there. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come to the people that were rejecting him, the people that refused to believe. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. That should really catch your attention because he's used this phrase, come to me, several times. Back in chapter 6, verses 35 and 37, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. In chapter 6, verse 44 and 45, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And in verse 65 of John chapter 6, it says, And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. And so he's he'd been, been teaching quite a bit and calling people to come to him, but recognizing that the only way they can come is that the Father draws them to him to himself. And we focused on the sovereignty of God a while back. But now in chapter 8 and verse 21, to these people that are rejecting him, and so he tells them, you cannot come where I'm going. Why? Because unless they repent of their sins, unless they believe in Christ, He's going to go and lay down His life for them. And unless they believe in Him, unless they put their faith in Him, they cannot come to be with Him. He's talking about where He's going. That He had come from the Father and He's going to return to the Father. He'd come from heaven and He's going to return to heaven. And He says, you're not going. A lot of the ways that He was blunt with Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you're not even going to see the Kingdom of Heaven unless you're born again. And now he's telling these people, you know what, without me, you're not coming. Nobody comes without him. You come to him, you come to heaven. You don't come to him, you don't come to heaven. That's just the reality of it. Christ is the one that laid down his life for our sins, and unless we have him, we don't have a Savior. There is no other path. I remember hearing somebody describe it one time that heaven is like a big airport and all these different planes landing into this airport all the diff- are all the different religions of the world and they all land in the same airport. No, they do not. 
When we get to John chapter 14, Jesus is going to tell His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Me. There isn't a one of us that makes it into heaven without having Christ. And Jesus is putting it plain and simple and on the line for these people that day. He says, look, if you don't have Me, you're not going there. And you know what? Many of these people would be confirmed in their unbelief and they're not. They're, they're just refusing. But thank God for the people at the end of verse 30 who respond in belief. Those people are there today. According to John 6, you can't keep those people out of there. Well, he also describes it another way. He says, you will die in your sin. And then in verse 24, he repeats the same thing. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, and the He is added there, so it's actually the word I am, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am, of course, being a title for God that He gave to Moses way back at the burning bush. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your That's the whole point. Why are we not going to heaven to begin with? Why are we born into this world on a pathway to hell? It's because of sin. We inherited a sinful nature from Adam back in the Garden of Eden. And so we come into this world corrupt, needing to be saved, needing to be delivered. And also from back at the Garden of Eden, we see a little promise that one day there's going to be one that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. One day, just as God had to kill that innocent lamb to provide clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their guilt, to cover their shame, there would come one that would provide not just a covering, but a removal of our sins. If you haven't put your faith in Christ then you still have your sins. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We are dead, spiritually separated from God. We have to come to that point where we turn from our sin and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, the Bible says that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. But if we die with our sins, then that's exactly what he's telling these people. He says, look, you're going to die with your sins and that doesn't land you in heaven. That does not put you in God's favor. That lands you in hell. But not only do we see the rejection of Christ, we also get to see the acceptance of Him. It says in verse 30, as He was saying these things, many people believed in Him. Which has been the point, as we mentioned throughout the whole Gospel of John, is to bring people that point of faith. His purpose verse toward the end of the book says, this is why I've written these things down, so that you may believe, and that in believing you may have life in His name. The word believe, he uses some 80 times throughout this Gospel trying to bring us to this point of believing. It's all about believing. When Jesus was talking about eat this bread, it was about believing. When He's talking about drinking the water, it's about believing. When He says to follow Him, to come and follow Him, it's all about believing. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows Me. That's what Christ died for, is followers. To make followers. There are parts of evangelicalism today that make it look like it's two different decisions. That you can just just, uh, put your faith in Christ, just invite Him to be your, your Savior, but not necessarily your Lord. In other words, what are they saying by that? They're saying, you know what, you can, you can receive the gift of eternal life without any change of life. And as we looked at in the past weeks, that's, that's foolishness. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have a change in your nature. And that's notice what Jesus says here. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. Why? Because He is the light. He's the light of the world. And if you follow Him, then you're not going to walk in darkness. Darkness will be like the opposite of who you are at that point. Why would you walk in darkness once you've come to the light? There is no such thing as a believer that's not a disciple. Jesus came to make disciples. You cannot separate the the two. He is both. He is the Lord and Savior. 
And that's what Jesus calls these people to, is to Him. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows Me. Just like the children in the wilderness. When the light started to move, they packed up and they followed. He's constantly calling people to follow Him. And that's what this invitation is. is it's an invitation to follow. Well, First John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, it says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You cannot come to the light of the world and remain in darkness. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would even tell His disciples, you are light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. He was the light of the world and then at that point He looks at His disciples and He says, you know what, now you're the light of the world. Why? Because they had put their faith in Him. They had received Him. So now the light of the world is inside of them. And He says, you're going to radiate My light to the world. It's kind of like Moses. Moses went up on the mountain with God and he's in front of the glory of God. And when he comes down off the mountain, Moses himself is shining. He's like radiating the glory of God. It's not his own glory. It's God's glory. But he was in that glory for long enough that that glory was now radiating back off of him. And so the world could see it. That's what we need to be. We, we're not the source of the light. Jesus Christ is the source of the light. But we get to reflect that light in this very dark world. So don't be surprised when you make them squint, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-11, through 11, it says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead... Expose them. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 8 says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. He says, look, we don't belong to the darkness, we belong to the light. We need to radiate that light in this dark world. That's what Christ was calling these people to, and that's what they accepted those people in verse 30. Jesus comes to us and He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness. So, where does that line up with my life? Well, if I look at my life and, and I've got no room for Christ, no hunger for Him, thirst for Him, no passion, if I find that there's some things in my life that are darkness that I don't want to go there, because that light exposes me, then that's exactly what you do need to do. You need to let the light of Christ expose the sin in your life so that you can repent of it and put your faith in Christ and receive that light of life. What if I find myself, I've, I've made that decision, but I've put my faith in Christ and now I can see the evidences of that. I may not be perfect, but I've 
but I can see growth in my life. I can see my life getting brighter. I can see change. Well, then take encouragement. But what if you're here and you say, well, you know what, I made a decision some time ago, but I found no real change in my life. I can't say it was a real turning point for me. I can't say that it was a started that process of growth or a walk with God that's close. Well, then you got something to question. Because either it's at that point where you're deceived and you need to put your faith in Christ. You need to invite Him in. You need to turn away from that sin. You need that change of heart. You need that new creation. You need, like Nicodemus found out, you need to be born again. Or could it be we do find those places in Scripture where we find warnings to people that the Bible says are legitimate believers, but they seem to be drifting a little bit. They seem to be getting off into the shadows. And the Bible only has one response for that as well, and it's always to repent and to come back into the light. The answer is all the same. The answer is always follow. And if you follow the light of the world, you will not walk in darkness. But you have the light of life.